Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 213 of the GDPR Weekly Show, the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. Like everyone in the UK, and we're pretty certain everyone across the world, we were deeply saddened this week to learn of the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. We therefore feel it's appropriate to begin this week's episode with a rendition of the UK national anthem, God Save the King. So coming up in this week's episode, we have news that the effects of an NHS provider's advanced cyber attack is still evident three weeks later. We have news that Go Ahead Bus Company has been affected by a cyber attack. And then we have news that TikTok is denying that it's been victim of a data breach despite data appearing online. We then travel to Ireland where the DPC has fined Instagram 405 million euros for breaches of GDPR. We then use that the IHG Hotel Group has had a data breach. And we then travel to Albania with news that Albania has cut diplomatic ties to Iran after a cyber attack. We then travel to Portugal with news that a cyber attack has potentially exposed sensitive NATO documents. And then we travel to the USA where Uber executive is facing a criminal trial after a data breach. We then return to Europe where the IAB appeal against the Belgian DPA's ruling has been referred to the CJEU. We then travel to the USA, where IRS data relating to 120,000 US taxpayers has been exposed in a data breach. And then to India, where Air India has had a data breach. And then finally this week, we have a comparison between GDPR and China's PIPL. So there's always a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope that you find the information in the articles useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdplweeklyshow.com. Well, now there is GDPR Made Simple, available now on Amazon. We begin this week with news that a cyber attack against an NHS IT service provider continues to cause havoc three weeks after the incident was first spotted, with the victim stating that some services could be offline for another 12 weeks. The attack targeted Birmingham-based company Advanced, forcing seven key services, including those used for patient check-ins, medical notes and NHS 111, offline. On August 11th, an NHS England spokesperson confirmed that the attack was ransomware, with experts warning that it highlighted the combat supply chain security threats that the NHS faces. The BBC has now reported that some of the victim's services remain offline three weeks on from the attack, with healthcare staff in certain regions and clinics entering a fourth week of taking notes with pen and paper. Doctors have stated that it could take months to process mounting piles of medical paperwork. An NHS spokesperson said that robust contingency plans were in place across local health systems and urged the public to continue to use the health service as normal. The use of electronic records is a small but important aspect of diagnosing and treating patients, they said. Advanced is working to resolve their software problems and since Monday the 22nd of August, NHS 111 service providers have been coming back online. 
In a security incident update published on August the 25th, Advanced wrote, Over the last three weeks, we have focused on assessing our ability to restore and provide reconnection to these services. Due to a number of factors, this has been more complex than we initially anticipated. All our efforts are focused on restoring services for our customers as quickly as we can, whilst ensuring we do so in the most secure way possible. They went on to say, we are now building a much clearer picture of the incident. In parallel, our third-party experts have well advanced their investigation into any potential data impact as a result of the incident. We will update customers as appropriate and comply with any applicable notification obligations. It is still unknown which ransomware group was behind the attack, with advanced yet to confirm whether it's negotiating with the cyber criminals. It has, however, enlisted Microsoft and Mandiant to assist with the recovery efforts. The NHS has a data security and protection toolkit which stipulates the requirements to retain credentials to deliver a service that includes the use of a proportionate monitoring solution to detect cyber events on systems and services, along with processes for vulnerability management and prevention and response to advanced persistent threats. If we get any update from the NHS or advanced, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Remain in the UK and go ahead. One of the UK's biggest transport companies has said it's managing the cyber attack that's affected software used to schedule bus drivers and services. Go Ahead, an important provider of UK bus services and London's biggest operator, said it became aware of a fault on its server late on Sunday and was working hard to keep buses running without disruption. The issue has become more widespread on Monday, affecting several back office systems including bus services and payroll software. Go Ahead said it's working with IBM to activate backup systems to ensure its bus services can keep running. The cyber attack does not affect its rail business, which runs on separate systems and is operating normally in the UK and overseas. A spokesperson said, we're doing everything possible to ensure services continue without interruption, but if services are affected, we'll inform our customers using social media. In a later statement, the company said GoAhead's bus companies are operating a normal service today in spite of the cybersecurity incident. Although certain technology functions are unavailable, backup procedures have been put in place and buses are running as normal. We are confident of operating a comprehensive service tomorrow. GoAhead runs Great Northern, Thameslink, Gatwick Express and Southern Rail and also operates rail services in Norway and Germany. It runs nearly a quarter of London's buses as well as bus services in southern and eastern England and also has bus contracts in Singapore, Sweden and Ireland. The company has informed regulators of the attack, including the Information Commissioner's Office at the UK. If we get any further update on this, from Go Ahead, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. TikTok has denied a security breach after hackers claimed to have leaked alleged user data and source code. Over the weekend, reports circulated on an online data breach marketplace forum and then on Twitter that TikTok US had been hacked. Reports on a latest hack first appeared on the breach forum's message board on September the 3rd. On Friday, a hacking group known as Against the West claims to have breached both TikTok and WeChat. The user shared screenshots from the latest database belonging to the companies, which they say was accessed on an Alibaba cloud instance containing data for both TikTok and WeChat users. The alleged hacker said that they were yet to decide if they wanted to sell the stolen data or release it in the public domain. A link to two samples of the data was published along with a video of one set of database tables from which the hacker claimed that it extracted the data of around 2 billion TikTok users. On September the 3rd, the Twitter account Blue Hornet Against the West also claimed to have stolen internal backend source code. A TikTok spokesperson told Forbes that no evidence of a security breach has been found. 
Our security team investigated this statement and determined that the code in question is completely unrelated to TikTok's back-end source code, a TikTok spokesperson said. TikTok spokesperson went on to say, Our security team has found no evidence of a security breach. We have confirmed that data samples in question are all publicly accessible and are not due to any compromise of TikTok systems, networks or databases. The samples also appear to contain data from one or more third-party sources not affiliated with TikTok. We do not believe users need to take any proactive actions and we remain committed to the safety and security of our global community. Nonetheless, we would recommend that any concerned TikTok users change their passwords and ensure that two-factor authentication is activated. TikTok is still on thin ice with US regulators. In June, an American communications regulator official called on Apple and Google to ban TikTok over national security concerns. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you might remember back in episode 209, we told you that the Irish regulator, the DPC, was finalising its penalty against Instagram. Well, this week, it's now become clear what that penalty is. Irish regulators are slapping Instagram with a fine of 405 million euros for a data breach. The penalty is the second biggest issued under the EU stringent privacy rules GDPR. Ireland's Data Protection Commissioner said by email on September 5th that it had made a final decision last week to fine the company €405 million, although the full details won't be released until next week. Instagram parent Meta, which also owns Facebook and can appeal the decision, did not respond to a request for comment by the time we went to broadcast. The Irish Watchdog's investigation centred on how Instagram exposed the personal details of users aged between 13 and 17, including email addresses and phone numbers. The minimum age for an Instagram user is 13. Under GDPR, the Irish watchdog is the lead regulator for many tech US companies, including Meta, because their European headquarters are in Dublin. Once we have the full details of this judgment from the DPC next week, we will, of course, bring it to you right here on the GDPR Week Show. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. Parts of Intercontinental Hotels Group Technology Systems were breached on Monday this week, the hotel company announced, and confirmed in a filing to the London Stock Exchange. The unauthorised activity followed scheduled maintenance of IHG's app and website on Sunday night, according to the release. IHG is working to fully restore all systems as soon as possible and to assess the nature, extent and impact of the incident. While it remains unclear what type of data was stolen, the breach appears to have been limited to IHG's homepage and app. Nevertheless, it has negatively impacted individual bookings and loyalty account holder information across IHG's 17 brand portfolio, which includes Crown Plaza, Holiday Inn, Intercontinental, Kimpton and others. A message to customers on the Holiday Inn website earlier this week said, At this time, you may have challenges booking a new reservation, accessing information about your upcoming reservations and accessing your IHG One rewards account. However, when we checked just before going to broadcast, this message appears to have been removed. This latest data breach is not IHG's first and shortly follows Marriott International's third and most recent incident in four years, adding to an already notable uptick in fraudulent online activity within the hotel industry. IHG said it had notified all relevant authorities about the breach and are investigating the breach. The company said it would share more information once appropriate and would support hotel owners and operators during the service disruption. IHG wanted to emphasise that the hotels are still able to operate normally and that those affected by the online issue were still able to take reservations directly via the telephone. 
You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The UK and US governments have condemned Iran for unprecedented cyber attacks against Albania. On 15th of July, the Albanian government suffered a major cyber attack as threat actors destroyed data, shut down the public services e-portal e-Albania, and leaked details of the Albanian Prime Minister and Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Essential services such as a public-facing portal for booking medical appointments, the system of which children are enrolled at school, and online utility bill websites were also affected in the attack. The National Cyber Security Centre has concluded to a high degree of certainty that Iranian-backed threat actors are behind the attack. The US National Security Council, the NSC, likewise blamed the Iranian government for conducting the operation in a White House statement. Yesterday, Albania severed diplomatic ties with Iran over the incident, and their embassy staff, security teams and diplomatic personnel in Tirana 24 hours to leave the country. It's the first place to turn diplomatic ties in response to a cyber attack. The Iranian government deny any involvement in the attack, citing its long struggle with attacks such as the Stuxnet worm to indicate that it is the victim of threat to computer systems. As a NATO member, Albania has been joined in support by many Western powers. Iran's reckless actions showed a blatant disregard for the Albanian people, severely restricting their ability to access essential public services, stated UK Foreign Secretary James Trevely, who entered his cabinet role on Tuesday this week. The UK is supporting our valuable partner and NATO ally. We join Albania and other allies in exposing Iran's unacceptable actions, he said. To Portugal now, and reports in Portugal have suggested the classified NATO documents were lifted by specially designed bots and have now been found for sale online. The Portuguese Government Department of Defence, the DOD, has reportedly been the subject of a significant data breach involving the theft of NATO documents. According to Portuguese media, hundreds of documents sent to Portugal's officials by NATO have been found for sale on the deep web and the general staff of the armed forces, the department that was attacked, only found out after US intelligence informed them of their discovery. The US made direct contact to Portugal's Prime Minister Antonio Costa in August, informing him of the NATO documents it found for sale online, according to Diara de Noticia, which first reported the story. We've contacted the EMGFA for confirmation of the reports and further details, but they've not come back to us at the time of the broadcast. A NATO official said, We do not discuss alleged leaks of classified information. Portugal is a valued NATO ally, which makes important contributions to our shared security. It's understood that the EMGFA has conducted a comprehensive audit of its IT systems and identified the computers from which the NATO documents were stolen. The department concluded that rules surrounding the secure transmission of classified documents have been broken. Unsecured channels were used to receive and forward the documents when the integrated system of military communications should have been used, the report said. The exchange of information between allies in terms of information security is permanent at the bilateral and multilateral levels, said a spokesperson for Prime Minister Antonio Costa. Whenever there is a suspicion of compromise of cybersecurity of information system networks, the situation is extensively analysed and all procedures aimed at enhancing cybersecurity awareness and threat handling information to deal with new types of threat are implemented. Disciplinary and or criminal law automatically determines the adoption of appropriate procedures. A source who did not wish to be named said the cyber attack itself was prolonged in time and undetectable. They said the attackers used specially crafted bots to search for a specific type of documents that were ultimately exfiltrated. If we get any update on this, either from Portugal, the US, or indeed NATO itself, we will just bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. 
Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Uber's former security officer, Joe Sullivan, is standing trial this week in what is believed to be the first case of an executive facing criminal charges in relation to a data breach. The U.S. District Court in San Francisco will start hearing arguments on whether Sullivan, the former head of security at Uber, failed to properly disclose a 2016 data breach affecting 57 million Uber riders and drivers around the world. At a time when reports of ransomware attacks have surged and cybersecurity insurance premiums have risen, the case could set an important precedent regarding the culpability of U.S. security staff and executives for the way the companies they work for handle cybersecurity incidents. The breach first came to light in November 2017, when it was revealed that hackers had gained access to the driver's license numbers of 600,000 U.S. Uber drivers, as well as the names, email addresses and phone numbers of as many as 57 million Uber riders and drivers. Public disclosures are required in law by many U.S. states, with most regulations mandating that notification be made in the most expedient time possible and without unreasonable delay. But in this case, Uber's announcement came with an admission. A whole year had passed since the information had been breached. You may ask why we're talking about this now, a year later, Uber said at the time, as an accompanied investigated the delay and fired two executives with led response to the breach, one of whom was Sullivan. In court filings, federal prosecutors alleged that in an attempt to cover up the security violation, Sullivan had instructed his team to keep knowledge of the 2016 breach tightly controlled and to treat the incident as part of the bug bounty program. That program was intended to incentivize hackers and security researchers to report vulnerabilities in exchange for cash rewards, but it did not allow for rewarding the hacker with access and obtain personally identifiable information of users and drivers from Uber-controlled systems, the complaint says. The hackers in the 2016 breach were rewarded with $100,000, the complaint says, more than any bounty the company had paid as part of the program until that point. Sullivan also allegedly had the hackers sign a Supplemental Non-Disclosure Agreement, an NDA, which falsely represented that the hackers had not obtained or stored any data during their intrusion, federal prosecutors said. In 2018, months after he was fired, Sullivan contested any claims of a cover-up and said he was surprised and disappointed when those who wanted to portray Uber in a negative light quickly suggested there was a cover-up. Neither Sullivan nor Uber immediately responded to any request for comment. The Justice Department complaint alleged that only Sullivan and the former Uber chief executive, Travis Kalanick, had knowledge of the full extent the hackers were as a role in the decision to treat it as an authorised disclosure through the bug bounty programme. However, as the New York Times first reported, the security industry is divided over whether Sullivan's deserves to be held solely responsible for the breach. Some are questioned whether the role of other company executives and its board should be investigated as well, while others say Sullivan's role in it was clear. The trial will play out as reports of ransomware attacks continue to rise. In 2021, the US saw a more than 95% increase in ransomware attacks, according to the threat intelligence firm Sonic Wall. Many of those attackers have targeted healthcare facilities and schools, as we mentioned in previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. We will, of course, be watching this case with interest and bring you any updates here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that we've often mentioned action being taken between the European Union and IAB Europe over the IAB Europe's code for retargeting. The IAB Europe has submitted multiple grounds for appeal against a breach finding earlier this year against its self-proclaimed best practice framework for obtaining consents from web users for their data to be processed for behavioural advertising. This week, a good number of these grounds for appeal have been dismissed by the Brussels Market Court of Appeal. 
At the same time, legal precedent has been referred to Europe's top court, the Central Court of European Justice, related to a number of other appeal grounds, which means a hard ruling will be coming down the pipeline for flagship component surveillance and tax elaborate machinery in the coming years. A specific issue here is a cross-industry framework spec'd out and promoted by IAB Europe and taken up by scores of publishers and advertisers to claim of obtaining web users' consent to ad tracking, but critics argue boils down to an elaborate compliance theatre enacting a pantomime of consent to work around GDPR. The consent tool, also known as the Transparency and Consent Framework, the TCF, underlies the majority of irritating ad consent pop-ups that plagued web users across the EU. Yet it was found to be in breach of GDPR earlier this year after a lengthy investigation by Belgium's State Protection Authority, confirming what privacy and legal experts had been saying for years. GDPR violations confirmed on the Belgian Authority's decision on the TCF back in February this year cover major principles like the lawfulness of processing, fairness and transparency, security of processing, integrity of personal data and data protection by design and default, amongst others. IAB Europe itself was also found to have breached GDPR and the online ad industry body was given a hard deadline of six months to fix a long list of violations although the TCF has been allowed to persist in the meantime. IAB Europe responded to the regulators' measures by firing up its own lawyers and lodging an appeal, seeking to undo the Belgian DPA's decision by arguing against it from multiple angles, from claims of procedural unfairness to flat denials that its role or the technologies it steers breach GDPR. Simultaneously, in the further denial of an existential privacy problem with tracking ads, the body said if it planned to press on and submit the TCF as a transnational code of conduct, apparently eyeing grafting on compliance with US regulatory requirements, i.e. California's CCPA. In a first blow to its appeal against the TCF's GDPR strikedown, a bunch of its procedural gripes have now been thrown out by the court. Of eight grounds decided on by the Brussels Court of Appeal, five were found to be entirely unfounded, with only two of the final grounds considered well-founded in part. Those related to a finding that additional allegations and complaints centred on whether a mechanism in the IAB's framework constitutes personal data were incorporated in the decision after the hearing without sufficient diligence, although the court stresses that the authority would not have had to open a whole new investigation, as the IAB had argued, so this looks like a fairly minor procedural matter. The other five grounds that the court has decided on at this stage, such as the IAB's assertion that complaints were admissible or the authority's inspection report was incomplete and biased, were all dismissed. However, there are yet more grounds lodged by the IAB, the ruling of this 19 in all, and the appeal is now suspended pending the Court of Justice, CJEU's response, to legal questions related to these grounds. The referred question centred on whether a per-user consent string passed via the TCF constitutes personal data, the IAB argues it doesn't, but Belgian DPA decided that it did, and whether the IAB, which couches itself as a humble industry standards body, is a joint data controller for the purposes of the TCF and the so-called TC string. Again, it argues that it isn't, but the Belgian DPA argues that it is. That the Brussels Court of Appeal has referred our questions to the European Court of Justice shows the importance of this case that one of the original complainants, Dr Johnny Ryan, that we mention often here on the GDPR Weekly Show, a senior fellow at the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. In a statement, Dr Ryan said, Today's judgment is the next step in our effort to put an end to the consent pop-ups that have harassed internet users in Europe for years. We now look forward to the answers from the European Court of Justice and subsequently a judgment on the merits of the Brussels Court of Appeal. The CJEU could take a few years to produce a ruling on these questions, but there's no route of appeal on what it decides. There will, in fairly short order, be a hardened verdict from the court on the important points, 
like whether an entity that devises and promotes mass surveillance ad tech infrastructure and whose rules dictate core procedures of this tracking machinery is able to evade the full force of GDPR by claiming it's just a standards body. And on the IAB's flagship state of hand, when it claims that TC screens aren't personal data and don't link to individuals, ergo there's no need for a legal basis for processing them anyway, which would then be quite the get-out clause for behavioural ads from EU data protection law if allowed to stand by the court. The Belgian DPA's response to that argument was to point out that TCF links the consent screen to the user's IP address, which is absolutely considered personal data under GDPR, and that users at all are also able to identify users via other data, and that indeed the whole point of the TC screen is to identify the user. So for now, we must wait to see what the CJEU decides. In the meantime, the Belgian DPA could, and in the view of some observers should, restart enforcement of the original order, given the vast scale of the violations and risks to Europeans' fundamental rights of allowing unlawful mass surveillance by out-of-control ad tech to continue unchecked. Asked about his expectations for enforcement, Ryan told us that he's looking into whether the authorities' decision can now finally be applied. The extension was until the market court's decision, so it should be able to apply it now, he said. The tracking-based online ad industry must reconcile itself to the likelihood that GDPR will actually be enforced. A spokesperson for the Belgian DPA confirmed that the ad industry body, the IAB, had submitted an action plan to it in April, as required by the DPA's February decision. The Belgian DPA does intend to pursue its assessment of the measures proposed in the action plan sent in April by IAB Europe. However, the DPA will not comment further on the content of the action plan at this moment. The spokesperson further specified that the action plan the IAB submitted to it was not presented as a so-called global privacy platform, which has, it seems, been entirely developed by the IAB Tech Laboratory. Following the Brussels talk referral, the IAB Europe posted a statement on its website about developments, acknowledging what it refers to as an interim ruling, as well as the referral of questions to the CJEU, which it said it welcomes. The interpretation of the notions of personal data and controllership embraced by the APD, the Belgian DPA, is unnecessarily broad from a consumer protection point of view, and the significant negative implications for development of open standards and the code of conduct foreseen in GDPR, added Townsend Freem, IAB Europe CEO. He went on to say it would place an unacceptable financial burden on host organisations discouraging the development of these important compliance tools. In a statement posted on its website after the court referral, the Belgian DPA said that it will now have to further analyse the ruling before being able to express itself in more detail on its content, but it professes itself already pleased with this decision which will further clarify key concepts of GDPR, such as the definition of the concept of a data controller and its applicability to framework designers. Hyde Heeman, chairman of the DPA's litigation chamber, added in a statement, the IAB Europe case in which we ruled in February has an impact that goes far beyond Belgium. That's why we think it's a good thing that it's been discussed at the European level at the Court of Justice of the EU. The authority also wrote that its decision has made an important contribution to protection of internet users' privacy in Europe through its analysis of the mechanism for recording users' preferences for targeted online advertising. Further arguing, it will raise awareness about online advertising and especially about the mechanism behind the consent to receive targeted advertising. A DPA statement went on to say that Belgium will discuss possible next steps with its EU counterparts. And so this saga rumbles on. But we will, of course, always bring you the latest updates whenever they're available right here at GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. 
to America now and the Inland Revenue Service, the IRS, has inadvertently exposed the data of 120,000 US taxpayers, making it the latest high-profile organisation to fall flower of poor security practices. Ironically, this breach comes at a time when the IRS is itself at the centre of a row between Republicans and Democrats regarding expansion and funding. The 120,000 people whose data is exposed are all filled in a 990T form. These forms detail unrelated business income made by organisations and individuals that aren't required to pay tax, such as non-profits or retirement accounts. The IRS has to release information from 990Ts for public inspection when they're filed by 501C paragraph 3 organisations. The government agencies as tax returns filed by other taxpayers should have been screened out of this process. In this case, however, that didn't happen and all of the 990Ts in its database were able to be viewed. Personal data included names, business contact information and investment derived income from some assets. The database was able to be viewed for almost a year via the IRS website before its recent discovery although the agency confirmed a statement on September the 2nd that it had now been removed from the domain. To India now, and Air India has sent emails to all its B2B customers stating the compromise of login user IDs and passwords for a limited number of B2B clients. The data compromise happened at Air India's GST portal, which is provided by Acelia Solutions Limited. The compromised user IDs and passwords have been used by an unauthorised party to access their GST invoices and publish them in the public domain, stating the email was issued by the company. Air India says it has taken immediate steps with the service provider to change the access credentials of all user IDs for the GST portal. An Air India spokesperson said, An outsourced external agency has experienced data breach of their systems, which compromised some information regarding Air India's agents. We would like to state that no data related to any passenger or customer of Air India has been affected by this breach at the external agency's end. The spokesperson further said, Air India has taken immediate action and reached out to all of its B2B clients, besides alerting the external agency to take corrective measures. Action on resetting the passwords has already been taken, and a two-factor password authentication has already been implemented. Air India has pulled out all stops to ensure that such corrective and preventive measures are strictly adhered to by this external agency to mitigate any such breach in the future. It's not the first time that Air India has suffered a data breach. There were reports in February 21 that stated hackers stole the personal data of 4.5 million Air India passengers. If we get any further update on this from Air India, we will bring to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Back in episode 161, we brought news about China introducing its equivalent to GDPR, PIPL. Since then, we've asked a number of questions about the differences between GDPR and PIPL, so we thought we'd cover a few of them here this week. The first difference is that PIPL defines sensitive information differently. In GDPR, of course, we have special category data under Article 9 of GDPR covering things such as race and ethnicity, politics, religion, philosophy, union membership, genetics, biometric data, health data, sex life data, and sexual orientation data. PIPL, for its part, creates additional protections for this data, PIPL is an umbrella of data that qualifies as special protection information is seemingly broader than GDPR. However, Article 28 of PIPL offers a broad definition of this data, saying that its personal information that once leaked or illegally used may easily cause harm to dignity or grave harm to the personal or property security. Article 28 goes on to list some examples of such information, 
as with GDPR, PIPL offers enhanced protections for personal information including biometrics, religion and health. PIPL also offers other specific examples of this information, such as data related to a person's specially designated status, data related to a person's financial accounts, and location tracking data. The other thing to bear in mind is that PIPL treats the handling of children's data differently. PIPL also specifically defines any and all personal information of a minor under the age of 14 as specially protected information. Processing this type of data requires yet more heightened protections under PIPL, including that the personal information handler obtains a parent or guardian's consent and that the personal information handler formalises specialised personal information handling rules for minors' data. On this point, GDPR burdens are simultaneously stricter and, and less strict. On this point, GDPR burdens are simultaneously stricter and less strict. As you'll know, if you're a regular listener to the programme, we often mention the age-appropriate design code, or as it's known in the UK, the children's code, which covers minors under the age of 16. The third difference is that PIPL has different standards for government oversight of risk assessment processes. Under GDPR, data controllers must conduct a DPIA, a data privacy impact assessment, of the data processing plan in circumstances where it is likely to result in high risk to the rights and freedoms of natural persons. A DPIA must specifically outline a systematic description of the envisaged processing operations, a similar description of the purposes of the data processing operations, including the data controllers of interest, the necessity and proportionality of the said data processing operations, the risks those operations present to data subjects' rights and freedoms, and the measures envisaged to actually treat or mitigate those risks. Generally, the data controller may conduct a DPIA independently. There are a couple of exceptions to this rule, however. A guideline document released by an EU advisory body prior to GDPR coming into effect made clear that data controllers must consult with the supervisory authority whenever the data controller cannot find sufficient measures to reduce the risk to an acceptable level or when the EU member state law so directs vis-a-vis data processing related to public interest. PIPL requires that personal information handlers be subject to a Personal Information Protection Impact Assessment, a PIPIA, in similar, though not necessarily the same, circumstances as a DPIA. However, PIPL does not require that the organisation consult a regulatory authority if the PIPIA identifies risks that the organisation not remediate. On the other hand, consider the case of cross-border transfers of personal information. Notably, PIPL treats data transfers outbound from China's borders as inherently risky, that automatically trigger the need for a PIPA, i.e. they don't have any concept of adequate countries like we do under GDPR. And the final difference is that PIPL is potentially much harsher. As you know, under GDPR, maximum penalty is 4% of your total annual revenue globally, or 20 million euros, whichever is the greater. PIPL goes further than that. Companies that perpetrate a grave violation of PIPL may face up to 5% of their total annual revenue, or if greater, 7.26 million euros. If that extra percentage point isn't scary enough, it should be noted that such fines do not appear to be restitutional. In addition to these fines, any and all of a PIPL violator's unlawful income may be subject to forfeit. To make matters worse for those across the line, Chinese authorities may also suspend or revoke a violator's business license in China. The other major difference is that under PIPL, individuals' employees who are deemed to have been liable for a data breach, can themselves face fines of up to around half a million euros. They may also sustain lasting damage to their livelihoods and possible way of life itself. After being found directly responsible for a PIPR violation, 
an employee may be prohibited from holding management or privacy officer roles for a certain period. Now, of course, GDPR does contain something similar, but to the best of our knowledge, that particular provision under GDPR has never actually been used. So we continue to keep an eye on PIPL. And as always, if you are based in the UK and you'd like any advice on PIPL, then please do reach out to us and we'll do our best to help you. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and that you found the information useful and informative. We do really appreciate your feedback, so please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com with any comments you might have about the articles we've raised this week or indeed any suggestions you might have for improvements to the show. The GDPR Weekly Show is a insurance production. Please be advised that any advice given during the show is general in nature and should not be taken as specific legal advice. You should always seek legal advice according to your own specific circumstances. Until next time, bye-bye.